This is Verve, the style podcast, your only source for everything fashion on the internet. We're your hosts. I'm Katie Gassman. And I'm Anna Grace Averett. With a combined 10 years of experience in e-commerce fashion, from buying and styling to visual merchandising and content creation, Katie and I know firsthand how the internet is reshaping the fashion industry. We sit down with your favorite creators and the next wave of innovators to discuss how they're pushing fashion forward and break down five of their favorite fits. On our solo episodes, we get into the latest fashion news, runway shows, internet trends, pop culture. It's basically like going to happy hour with your fashion besties. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode and follow along on TikTok and Instagram to see what we're wearing. I'm at Katie Gassman, two S's, two N's. And I'm at Anna Grace Averett. That's A-V as in Valentino, E-R-E-T-T. So sit back with your mandatory three beverages and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Verve. This week, we have a very special guest episode, our first one in a while. We talked to Dina Metter, who's the CEO and co-founder of Couture Technologies, a virtual fitting technology that helps apparel companies reduce returns, increase conversions, and grow their business by ensuring customers get the right fit the first time. Have you ever had an event that you need a dress for, so you order like 10 at once, hoping that maybe one of them will fit only to return the rest. This is annoying for both us as the consumer and for the brand. According to the National Retail Federation, returns cost U.S. apparel brands a discouraging $760 billion in sales, and most of those returns become textile waste, which the U.S. generates an average of 21 billion pounds of annually. Couture Technologies is empowering apparel and workwear companies with a comprehensive suite of AI-powered virtual fitting products designed to solve the returns conundrum. Their platform allows users to easily create a virtual avatar and visualize multiple garments on their own body, not a model's. And this is done super easy. You just take two photos and you have a virtual avatar. And Dina didn't talk about this in the episode, but told us after. And I thought this was really cool. It's actually a headless avatar. So you don't have to worry about how you think you look in your clothes because let's be real like some of these avatars that are supposed to look like you just uh, are a little discouraging but this is the headless avatar you can just truly see using their fit map how is this going to fit on your body so that you can get the fit that you're looking for the first time around we discussed dina's background in entrepreneurship from starting an organic mineral skincare line 20 years ago to being a founder founding member of the team that launched the Wondery, which is the epicenter of innovation and entrepreneurship at Vanderbilt University. Plus, we get into the importance of mentors, raising money as a female founder. She recently raised $1.5 million for Couture Technologies in less than eight hours on International Women's Day. And of course, we talk about the future of online shopping. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're an online shopping lover, this is the episode for you. So sit back, relax, get your three beverages, and enjoy the show. So Dina, um, we were checking out your, your LinkedIn and saw that you've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years now. When did you realize that the entrepreneur path was the one for you and that you had to chase your own ideas rather than maybe working under someone else? You know, I, I think it, I don't think I realized it for a while, which probably sounds kind of silly, but um, when I was in my first official formal business was when I was in graduate school. So my husband uh, went overseas he did a a deployment to Iraq and he came back and he said you know I'm just not ready to jump back into my you know government military work every day I think I need to take a break and do something different 
and we were in our early 20s and he said you know what if we start a business <laughs> and we don't have entrepreneurs in our family it wasn't something that we were familiar with or knew how to do um, but that's what we did so we ended up starting a cosmetics company um, we ended up with after about a year and a half we had physical retail locations in two different states um, you know built the team learned how to do everything from train people to pay people to turn in taxes and all the things that you have to do that aren't so glamorous as part of running a business. And then about a year and a half in, you know, we felt like we had kind of done everything that we set out to do with that business. And so we sold it to an Israeli company. And then I actually came to Vanderbilt, which is, I still have a role at Vanderbilt today. Um, I came there to do research. I wanted to know what it was like to be a part of a research team. And it was maybe three months into doing research that I realized I thought there were some ways that we could improve the way that we did research and increase our efficiency. And so I ended up developing a tool for researchers and then another educational technology and then now the fashion technology. So it just kind of spiraled from there. But besides that first one, after that, it's always been driven by problems that I've seen or processes that I think could be improved. And I love to have a role in like bringing something new to life that can change the way we do our work. So you're definitely like a startup girl. Like you like to figure out the problem, yeah. how to fix it. And then after <laughs> that, you're like, okay, I need my next challenge. Yeah, once I get fully through to something that's executed, it's running, it's going, that's less exciting for me. I think it's so interesting because not that many people talk about that part of being an entrepreneur that you might excel at different parts of founding a business or running and operating a business. And we were talking about this actually recently because Rihanna just stepped down as the CEO of her Savage Fenty lingerie company. Because once you get a business to a certain size, like what you do on your day to day basis can really change and maybe not be what you had envisioned or what that you naturally enjoy doing. The role that I took, I did research at Bandy, but then transitioned over to helping launch and run the Wondery, which is the innovation center. So now I've had the chance of working with a little over 500 entrepreneurs in all different industries. And that's a great point that you brought up because I've certainly seen personalities that love to be the ones um, that invent and have the ideas. I've seen the ones that love the early days when you wear lots of roles and you do lots of different tasks inside a startup. And then the ones that really need that security and love, you know, once things are more established and they really like to scale and grow, but they don't like so much the early startup. Lots of different personalities and lots of um, ways that you might want to or not want to work in a startup. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. So tell us about um, how you, I guess, discovered this love. Have you always been this way? Was this something that you thought you would go to school for ever? Um, what did you study in college? This is such a varied background. <laughs> yeah. So when you, I always tell people, when you look at my CV, it looks like my life has made about zero sense. <laughs> I started in um, marine biology, <laughs> if you can believe that. So I actually did some work for NASA studying the ecology of the wow. Florida Keys. Um, <laughs> I was like, is it my background? Oh, cool. All over the place. Um, did that, then ended up figuring out, I really had a love for teaching people. Um, so I have one degree in education, and then I have a second degree in psychology and counseling. Um, I 
transition from, you know, marine biology and studying animals and animal behavior to really figuring out that I had a love of people and people behavior. Um, so that's where the psychology came in. And that has been so helpful in business, I have to say. Yeah, I think people, especially when it comes into wanting to enter like fashion or retail businesses, you think that you have to study, um, you know, fashion merchandising, fashion design or something like that. But going the non-traditional route provides you a lot of value of like looking at consumer behavior through a psychology lens, right? And what most of the things that are driving businesses today are things like storytelling, predicting behaviors, solving problems. And there's, you know, even coming from a science background, like that's a very interesting way to apply that into fashion and retail. It's been really interesting. Um, a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've worked with and problem solvers that I've had a chance to interact with, it's sometimes really interesting when you come from outside of an industry because you just see it from a different perspective than someone that's been in the trenches or has worked in a space for 15 or 20 years. You don't see the same constraints, um, which is also really helpful when you're trying to do something new. The cosmetics industry, I feel like, is one that um, has stayed largely the same as far as the products that they make and that they push out. How did you land on a cosmetics uh, business when that was not really anything that was uh, in your traditional background? So it was very practical, <laughs> um, to be honest. So when my husband came back from overseas, we and we hatched this plan right to start a business, and that's what we we're going to do together. We took a look at all of the money that we had saved while he was overseas. Uh, we didn't want to have to take out a loan. We wanted to do something that we could start with the money that we had saved up. Uh, we wanted to do something that we felt like we knew a little bit about. And each of us had had retail jobs at points during our, you know, high school and college careers. So we felt like we knew a little bit about that. Um, so we started looking at new products that were coming out. You know, if we were going to do something in retail, what were new trends? What was something that was exciting? And at that point, um, a new trend was more organic, mineral-based cosmetics. And it wasn't, those kind of products weren't as readily available as they are today. And so when we saw that trend, we found this really great company that was based out of California that would uh, white label for us. So they manufacture, produce all the products, but we could do our own branding. Uh, and we ended up going out visiting them. We really liked their products. We had a lot of friends test them, see what we thought. And it was something that we could launch uh, with what we had saved up. And the very first retail location that we went into was a mall in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Um, we chose them because they had really good traffic, but if I'm not... Oh, I've been yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, they had great traffic, good numbers of people coming through the door, but I want to say our rent for that first kiosk that we set up just to try out, you know, our pricing and see if this was something we wanted to do was like $400 a month. Sorry, that's like a mall <laughs> kiosk in the center, so it wasn't so, an actual yeah. like storefront that you would walk into, right? Like it's just a little cart. Right. Yep, that was what we started with, nice. um, and it was something where we felt like, you know, that was a risk that we could take on without it being too risky. It was something that we weren't going to have to have anyone help us do that we could do on our own, so it was a great way for us to get started and really test the product out, see people's reactions to them. Um, and then we were, we were probably three months in to having that operational before we opened up a second location. 
what were some of the factors that went into deciding to open up that second storefront um, three months in? Because I think when you think about um, the retail business, opening a storefront is really scary to people these days because you can do so much online. But you guys went the traditional in-person route. So talk me through what that thought process was like. We did. And this was back in like 2005, 2006. So I don't know if I would make that same decision today. Mm -hmm. Um, But then malls weren't in the Mm -hmm. same kind of um, interesting position that they're in today. Um, There were still lots of volume, you know, lots of traffic. It was something that felt very like tangible and real. You know, we could be there, we could be in person, we could make connections with customers, we could actually see their reactions to what we were doing, which to us at that time felt like the route to go. And then when we were three months in, we were bringing in about a thousand dollars a day at that one kiosk profit. And so we thought, okay, like pricing seems to be working. Um, we seem to know, you know, how to onboard people that can work as part of our team. Um, let's try this out in a different venue. Um, and the last location that we ended up opening up was in Opry Mills Mall, which is a beautiful, you know, amazing mall in Nashville, right outside of the city. And then a year and a half later, you guys mm-hmm. decide to sell the business and walk away from it. What was the ideas like leading up to, to that you said I guess that you um were had accomplished all the things that you wanted to accomplish so how did you go find a buyer so actually we one of the hardest well I'd say the hardest the number one just hardest thing during that year and a half was finding enough team members so keeping people um trained keeping people employed you know, your traditional mall retail jobs are not the highest paying job, right, that you're going to have. And you get lots of people who are in high school or college or in transitions or between different roles or maybe haven't even figured out what they want to do yet. And they're amazing people and lovely team members, and we enjoyed it so much. But we had such a hard time just keeping the number of people that we needed. So in several of the locations that we were in, there were, of course, other companies, right, running different kiosks, running different storefronts, and they all had teams. And one of them that we connected with was this company originally based out of Israel that had a steady flow of staffing, and they really had the staffing part figured out. So after several months of having conversations with them and really seeing how they work, we brought them in as partners first to help with staffing so that we didn't have to control that piece of our business so that they would help us so that we had a steady flow of people that wanted to work and were available when we needed them. And then it was just a natural flow. When we were, when we started talking about being ready to sell and being ready to move on to the next adventure, they immediately said, Hey, we want to take this over. You know, we have lots of stores and we have lots of locations, but we don't have anything in the cosmetic space. So we'd love to just take this on. So it was a really just smooth transition between their team members were already working with us and supporting and augmenting the team members that we hired. So we ended up not even shopping it around. We we sold it directly to them and we moved on to the next thing. Seems like a win-win for everyone involved. So do you know if that business is still running today or have they uh, decided to move on as well? You know, a lot of the way that mall retail works, you know, you're especially if you're doing kiosk work, you're chasing trends. And so 
once mineral cosmetics started to be really available, they transitioned over to other products. So they kept the location, you know, kept the leases, but have transitioned to other products. And that's just something that's really common. Uh, even if we were still running it, it probably wouldn't look the same as it did. So let's talk about your business that you have today. And that is Couture Technology. Tell us in the simplest of terms, how does this company work? Yeah, so there are two main things that we do at Couture. So one is that we create virtual avatars of people. So just like you and I, um, you can go in, take two pictures. We build an avatar that's just like your body. The other thing that we do is we make 3D versions of garments. So just like the blazer, the shirt that I'm wearing, we make 3D versions of those that are true to how they're manufactured, how they're produced, what would show up on your doorstep if you bought online. Um, And we combine those two things together and it lets you see exactly how something's going to look or fit before you buy it. So that's really the meat of what we do is those two things, 3D avatars and 3D versions of garments. That's interesting because it's like the consumer side, you get your avatar, and then the brand side, you get the 3D version of the clothes. So you're doing similar acts, but just like two separate, um, you know, generated AI versions. How did you come up with the idea for this? Was this born out of your own like personal frustrations of trying to online shop? Yes, indeed. Um, But also, so I've never been in the fashion industry before this company, but have always been a lover of fashion. I mean, and just, I... I feel like your fashion is what shows your personality and I'm always so you see me out I'm always wearing like really loud bright suits and I might be in a rainbow pair of shoes <laughs> it's just it's I just I love I love things that are unique and things that stand out um well today so I'm wearing the blazer and the shirt that I have on was actually designed by two young women who were Vanderbilt students who launched a company called Ready Dress Go and these were like their first two pieces so wanted to support those today as we were on Um, I love it. But it's so much fun, right? Working with entrepreneurs and just all the ideas that they come up with. And then I get to buy their products, which is so fun. (laughs) But I've never been in the fashion industry. So starting Couture was really came out of a couple of things. One was a love for the industry and a love for fashion. One was just, I like to buy things online because I often don't have time to go into a store or I see something that I like that might not be at a store that's close to me where I live in Tennessee. Um, And I, but you just don't know how it's going to fit and everyone's sizing is so different. And I don't like to be constantly mailing packages back and returning. And it's one of the biggest drivers of waste in this industry. So I I feel bad when I do that. Um, But the other part of it was I got, Uh, contacted and I did a big innovation project for Accenture, which is a really large, you know, hundreds of thousands of employee global consulting firm. And it turned out that they matched me with um, one of their brand new at that time, fast fashion clients. And the project was basically we have this new client, we really want to impress them. Let's propose three or four, you know, innovation opportunities or new opportunities for them. So to do that project, I had to take a deep dive into the industry. And I traveled around to five different countries over about a year and a half, talking to brand leaders um, all over the world and really trying to figure out what were the biggest challenges. And the thing that stuck with me was at that point, and this was back in like 2018, 2019, 
for most brands, less than 20% of their revenue was coming from online, which meant that 80% or more was coming from brick and mortar, and they were really reliant on that. And when I talked to leaders and asked questions about, you know, why they didn't do more with e-commerce or why that wasn't a, big, a bigger part of their revenue stream, the answer always came back to issues and challenges with sizing and fit and how those meant that they had a lot more online returns than they had in store. So it felt like something worth going after. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I know so many of our friends today, like if you have an event coming up, you might order 10 dresses online just to find one that maybe fits. And, it, you know, it can be from the same brand and just everything fits differently. And it's really a pain point at the consumer. But we are both merchants as well. So we know from the brand side, it's also a struggle to communicate that on your website of how things are going to fit and like leading people to the right um, product that they're looking for based on like, you know, the activity or the fit or or what the fabric feels like in person. There's all these challenges when it comes to online shopping and it's like the biggest growth of retail in the future, but there's so many question marks yeah. and things that need to be figured out. And Couture Technology seems to really be like tackling that first part of the puzzle of doing the, you know, online fitting. Yes. It's, um, you know, just an example. One of the brands that we launched with was uh, a women owned company named Hemp and Hope. Um, so Hemp and Hope specializes in hemp based fabrics and sustainable clothing. And they're just one example, right? Despite when you go to brands, their fits are all very different. They're based in Europe. And so their sizing is not the same as U.S. sizing. And so with our technology, it just makes it really easy mm -hmm. to see, okay, what size do I need? And like for me, in one of their signature jumpsuits, it's a size 10. Well, that's not at all comparable to what I would wear in the U.S. So even just things like that, it really helps simplify the process. As a consumer of the product, if you create your avatar, will it work on multiple sites or do you have to create a new one yeah. depending on the retailer so you're shopping from? When our technology is launched on a brand's website, we have a login that will work across um, different brands. So if you, and it's interesting, when we first started this, you know, we were really thinking direct to consumer fashion. We're entirely B2B. So we worked with a brand to launch this on their website for their customers. But we also ended up finding that there was a huge need in the uniform space. It's actually one of our first clients is a really large, almost billion dollar uniform company that outfits millions of employees across the world with uniforms for them to work in every day. You know, everything from uh, organizations like the Park Service to the TSA. And if you have an avatar that you've created mm -hmm. to get a uniform, you could also use that on a direct-to-consumer site that we're working with. So it's universal with anyone that we have worked with to integrate our technology with the brand site. That's really cool. I guess um, in my head, this was not a fully B2B technology, um, but that makes sense. Um, so for everybody listening, um, B2B is business to business. But that... Um, is, is I think a different approach than maybe like someone else might take like immediately it to me sounds like an app like I would have to do it um, for myself like I would hook it up and, and have it on my phone or something like that. So what um, drove that decision was it a technology issue was it a um, like a better smarter business decision to go the B2B route. 
Yeah, so what really drove that? So when, when we first started Secure, one of the reasons similar companies that have had or tried, you know, size recommendation technology or virtual try-on technologies often have failed has been because of the accuracy. Because mm-hmm. you really do need to be able to see and know how it's going to fit and what size, you know, what, what size is going to align with your fit preferences. And I, I can explain more about that. It's been a, such a deep topic that we've gotten into now for the last several years. But when we first started, I really wanted to make sure that not only could we get someone's body right when we're creating their avatar so that it reflects, you know, their size and their measurements, but that we could get the garments right. And the only way that you do that is by partnering with the brand so that you know exactly how that garment is designed. Mm-hmm. And on the last several calls that I've been on with, uh, with clients and prospective clients, they've said we're the only company that has asked them for that garment information. And what that really means is that we actually can map your body to the garment and show you how it's going to fit. You can't do that if you're just going by like a simple Mm -hmm. size chart that you would get off of the brand's website. It just isn't the same. Yeah. So do do I as a consumer measure myself and then um, input that information on the brand's website. Walk me through what I might encounter when using your technology on a brand's website. Yeah, of course. Um, This has been so much fun to design and I will say really complicated, right? To get people's bodies right. But there are two ways that you can use our technology. So (laughs) one is you can go in and you can enter your measurements. So if you know those or you're willing to take them, you know, you have a tape measure and you want to do that, you can do that. And we've Boil it down to the smallest number of measurements that you need to enter to get an accurate avatar. But the other thing that you can do, which took quite a bit of time to develop to really try and get it right, is that you can take two photos um, with either your tablet or your laptop or your smartphone. So if I were using my smartphone, I would go on a brand's website, see something that I like. We put a try on button on that page and you click that. You can create, you know, enter your name and your email address if you want to create an account, or you can just do it as a guest. Depends on you if you want to save your avatar or not. And then it will ask you, do you want to enter your measurements or do you want to take two photos? If you select to take two photos, you just put on um, workout type gear. So you could have on like a snug fitting t-shirt, a pair of leggings, a pair of shorts, a tank top, any of that. And then you set your phone down on the ground and the process guides you through with voice and with images, taking one photo from the front and one from the side. And then you enter your height and your weight, and then it generates your avatar in about, um, usually about a second. That is incredible. What is the technology, and if this is proprietary information, <laughs> please feel free to say I'm not going to answer this, but what is the technology that drives that? Is it AI of, of some sort? Yeah, so pretty much every part of our technology, from the way that we create garments to the way that we create 3D avatars for people, is all AI-driven. So there are many different machine learning models that are proprietary that we've developed, that we use. And then we also do lots of numerical simulation work. And we have patents that are filed on the technologies, both in the U.S. and internationally. Um, So, yeah, there are proprietary parts, but but it's all AI-driven. Um, And it's lots of different machine learning models that we use for different aspects of the technology, like from garment creation to creating bodies, people. Yeah. 
everyone seems so scared of AI. Oh, I was going to say, everyone seems so scared of AI, but this is the perfect example of that, like, it can really help and enhance what we are, are searching for answers to online, right? When it comes to online shopping, when you don't have enough time to try things on. I always like to try on multiple sizes of things in store, so that feels like it's a really great way for me to tell do I want a small or a medium do I want a four or a six depending how it looks on me online when you came to developing this technology right based on your background it does not sound like you were the person to put all of these together were you able to use your resources from working with people at, at Vanderbilt and your you know network of the past 20 years to find people who were able to develop this technology or did you have to go seek out these partners yeah, so when I came to Vandy and I started doing research, um, so this is kind of a little bit of a backstory, but, you know, my background is not in computer science. Um, That's not what I studied in school. I'm yeah. a psychologist. <laughs> so, um, but when I started doing research, I saw this problem, right, with the way that we were entering data that's just time consuming. And so I actually went home, taught myself enough coding be able to build a tool um, for research scientists um, for data collectors to be able to collect data electronically without needing a computer scientist on their team so in a, essentially like i built a very early like no code platform um, for social science researchers so i do have a little bit of a coding background and i through that can speak tech really well which i think helps me as a founder um, who has a very technical team, but I'm yeah. not really that person. Mm -hmm. So I can do some coding, which has been super helpful. Um, but when I had the idea for this technology, for Couture's technology, I went to one of my uh, friends who is a computer scientist who had finished his PhD and was doing a postdoc at Vanderbilt and explained the idea and said, you know, what do you think? Do you think this is possible? Do you think the technology is there? What kind of people do you think we would need? You know, what kind of skill set? And do you think this is something that we could do? And, you know, he said, you know, I got some people. Let me, let me go ask some questions. I'll, I'll come back to you. And I wasn't really expecting much. Um, but two weeks later, he came back to me with an animated video of how he thought the process could work, um, what kind of people he thought we needed, several of his friends who were computer scientists who were interested, and it really just went from there. So he ended up becoming my CTO and he's still the CTO of Couture today. So where in the um, infinite space of the internet um, can people use this technology? What are some of the brands that you guys are partnered with right now? If anyone listening wants to go try it out for themselves. Uh, that's such a good question. So we've spent about three and a half years building this technology just came out of what I call, you know, stealth mode, where we're trying to build without that many people knowing what we were doing early this year. Um, so we are live with a company called Pimp mm -hmm. and Hope that I mentioned earlier, amazing women-led company, go check out her stuff. Um, but we are launching very soon with a company called Dapper Boy um, that was just featured on Shark Tank a few weeks ago. Um, really amazing uh, duo of founders, gender neutral clothing, started with um, this really amazing pair of jeans. And that's really what launched their brand. And so we're excited to be launching with them. And then in the uniform space, so for anyone listening that wears a uniform to work, um, we work with a company called Workwear Outfitters. And then we have a bridesmaid dress relationship that is coming up that we are super excited about. 
um, as well as a um, luxury Ooh. men and women's um, company based out of Canada. We'll be launching first with their men's suit line. Um, so lots of new relationships that are coming up now that we are out of stealth mode and actually integrating our technology with new brands. So, so Dapper Boy and Hip and Hope, those will be the first two where a consumer could go try it out. Awesome. Yeah, that's so exciting. And I'd imagine that in the gender neutral clothing space, that this technology will be so helpful for people to understand how it's going to show up on their body and stuff like that. That's a space I am I'm so excited about um, because one of the stories from the founder of Dapper Boy is just about not being able to find clothing items that fit her body and also her personality and just having a body shape that was really challenging to get what she wanted. And that is exactly right what we're doing this for um, is so that you can actually know how something's going to fit. So I'm, I'm just super excited about that space. And there aren't any virtual try-on, virtual fitting, or size recommendation tools that have really ventured into that space and done it well. So I feel like this is mm. such a good use case for the technology. So you talked about coming out of stealth mode earlier this year, and you had a very big news story earlier this year. So we've all heard the statistic that female founders receive less than 3% of all venture capital fundraising. However, on International Women's Day this year, Couture Technologies raised $1.5 million in less than eight hours. I saw that you sent out 193 calls, emails, and texts, which is an incredible accomplishment. So what were some of the like challenges that you faced with fundraising and were you, did you find it challenging or did you find so, it like an engaging process? If you, you know, get to know me, I am not the person that likes to go out and ask people for their money. Even when I know that it's an investment opportunity, it's a good opportunity, right? We are um, a high growth company. It's just not really in my comfort zone. Um, so the first time that Couture raised money, um, was in 2021. We've done two rounds. So we did the one this year on International Women's Day, and we did one in 2021. And that first time that we raised money in 2021 was because we were bringing on, we knew that we had a very large partner that was coming, and that's the workwear relationship that I talked about, and that we were going to have to staff up, and we needed to add new team members, and we needed to be ready to meet that opportunity. And I told several of my mentors, that I was going to start raising in March of 2021. And it got to be April and then May. And I think we hit June. And one of my mentors just called me and was like, so what are you doing? Are you raising money? Are you not raising money? Like, do you need this? Like, when does your runway run? Like, you've got it. You have to decide. You have to make your decision that you are doing this. And then you have to make the first phone call. <laughs> and so... They gave me a challenge of make the call, you know, schedule the meeting, do it. I'm going to give you a couple of weeks and then I'm going to keep hounding you until you do this, which was great because it was a push. Sounds that like a I good needed. mentor. Very good mentor. And it was the push that I needed to just get outside of my comfort zone, do something that was not comfortable to me. Even though I've helped lots of founders do it, it's something different when it's your own. Um, <laughs> so I made that first call. Um, I structured that first raise where we had six spots. Um, each spot was $100,000. And I structured it that way so that 
as we had people that came in, you know, we could mark it off and be like, okay, now it's just four spots left or three spots left and create some of that FOMO <laughs> for investors. That was at least my plan. <laughs> and so we ended up closing that round in yes, about yes. two weeks, um, which was a lot faster than I thought it was going to be. Um, but we had bootstrapped for a couple of years. And so the technology was pretty developed and this is a problem that so many people identify with. Um, you know, I work with founders that are in the med device space or that are designing new pharmaceuticals. And often that is so much more complicated, right? To communicate and someone may or may not understand um, what you're trying to create, what you're trying to develop and why you're trying to do it. But this is a problem what's worth solving that everyone's experienced going online and not knowing how something's gonna fit. So it's a story that really resonates. And then with this phrase, um, we met with, I was doing an in-person investor meeting where everyone comes together. We all meet, I do updates on the company, we have dinner together. And I did that in November. And when I brought all of my investors together, they said, you know, if you know that you're gonna have to raise in 2023, I was planning to do a late summer raise they said, you know, you don't know if a recession is going to hit. You don't know what's going to happen with the economy. If you know that you need to raise money, why don't you go ahead and start? And so that was in November. I hadn't planned on starting until much later. So I had to start, you know, getting Smart. everything together, our projections, our financials, updating my pitch deck, all of the things, right, that you do to prepare for a raise, really thinking about how much is the company worth and how much has changed since the last time that we raised kind of instrument were we going to use, all of those things. So I started doing that between um, January and February. And then I went to my team and had this idea. The original idea was, why don't we do a raise on International Women's Day and do something like a million dollars in 24 hours? That was the original idea. And I went to my team and said, you know, this is my idea. It could fail. There's a reason people don't try to raise in one day. Um, but if we try this, like, are you on board that, you know, we could fail, it might not work the way that we want it to. Um, if it fails, we're going to tell the story about what barriers are still there for women, for women in tech, um, for founders in the South, and we're going to be okay with it if it fails. And then we'll do a traditional round and we'll keep raising and we'll get to the number that we need to, if we can't hit this target. And then, you know, it kind of morphed over the next few weeks and we planned a signing party for 3 p.m. on International Women's Day, which gave me about eight hours if I was gonna be able to raise the money before the signing party. So um, the last contract that got signed at 2.15 <laughs> and the signing party was at three. <laughs> mm -hmm. So how do you even find people to invest were you reaching out to your own personal yeah, network so it really was of a combination contacts? of all of those did things your mentors so, connect you um, with people is it a combination of all because of those we things? did the round in 2021 um most of our current investors came back in for this round i didn't know how much they were going to come back in for until the day of the raise they knew that i was going to be raising they knew that i was going to call them um, they knew that I would need an answer that day and that they'd have to commit and sign, you know, the legal paperwork um, committing to being in the round, but I didn't know how much they were going to come in for. So I had a list 
of the new people that have never put money in Secret Store before who um, over time had said, hey, you know, if you ever raise, make sure you give me a call or I'm really interested in what you're doing, you know, put me on a list. So I had a list of some names of people who've shown an interest in the company over the last couple of years. And then I have some contacts from our current investors of friends that they typically invest with that they thought might be interested in what we do at Couture. Um, and then just some people from my mentors networks that they thought would be interested. So before leading up to International Women's Day, I had, of course, our list of our current investors that I thought would want to come back in. And then I had this list of names um, from these different areas, whether it was my connections, mentors, current investors, or people who've approached me at pitch competitions or demos that I've done and started going down through that list. So for us to get to the one and a half million, we had four new investors in this round. Um, and I'm really strategic about who we bring in. So I wanted to be able to tell the story that we were able to find all of the capital that we needed in Tennessee. Um, because traditionally in the South, it's not where you think of as being one of those hot spots for investors or for capital. Um, you know, we think about the coast and we think about California, we think about Boston, we think about other areas, but we don't think about the South in that way. So I really wanted to be able to mm -hmm. tell the story that for one, we could do this raise and try to hit that one and a half million dollar goal to do it in a short time frame, to do it on International Women's Day, but also to show that we could get entirely investors in Tennessee. So that was another criteria that I looked at. Now, I would have gone outside of Tennessee if I needed to, but I started my list with people who were in the state. And when I got through the first um, four names on that list, we had hit our target. So wow. um, I didn't make calls to the other people that were on that list. That just shows like how savvy you are because A, to raise that amount of money, but then B, to have the storytelling of why we're doing it on this day, why you should buy into it, how we're going to market, you know, yeah. essentially market this if it works. And we still have yeah. a story if it doesn't, right? Like you really thought about it from all aspects, which is, I think there's a lot of learnings from there from anyone looking to start their own business or chase after your dreams, right? Like there's way to think about it. And I think also like the fact that you credit so much to your mentors is really um, admirable. And that's something that I feel yeah. like everyone needs some mentors. The life. mentors, they, like I said, the person who called me was like, hey, what are you doing? Are you raising or are you not raising? We all need those people that push us, especially when it's things that we're not comfortable doing or that, you know, we might doubt our ability to call someone up and ask them for, you know, $500,000 and then say yes. We all need those people that push us to be able to do that. Yeah. And I think we have to wrap up and head into our next portion of the show. So if you are a weekly Verve listener, then you know that we typically do five outfits here, personal style, but we thought it'd be fun to switch it up and to talk more about Couture Technologies and talk about five ways that technology can be introduced and used to improve and enhance your own closet while shopping online. So our first feature um, of interest here is that there is a fit map um, that will allow you, of course, to choose the clothing that you are most comfortable in. So walk us what it, through what is this fit map? Yeah, so this is the number one thing that people comment on when they see our technology about just something that they absolutely love. So not only can you see how it will look, 
but you can also turn on what we call our fitmap. It's just a little switch, you turn it on, and then suddenly your avatar is these shades of green or red or yellow or blue, and it shows you the areas on your body where something's going to fit tight or it's going to fit really loose or, you know, some gradients in between, wow. which is awesome. So if you're thinking, okay, do I want the small? Do I want the medium? You can actually see how it's going to fit in addition to how it's going to look, which is um, awesome. <laughs> you know, you, and yeah. I know for me, like I want things to fit differently depending on what I'm going to wear them with. And so this actually lets you see, okay, is it going to be, you know, really snug um, around my shoulders? Is it going to be really snug around my midsection? And you can tell all of that and you can pick what you want rather than having a computer tell you like what a size recommendation tool does where they just say, hey, go buy a small. Um, this actually lets you look and say, is that how mm -hmm. I want this to feel and how I want it to fit on my body? Which is a perfect segue into the next point here is that it does allow you to find your fit, whether that is oversized, cropped, etc. There's so many different ways for things to fit. Yeah, if, if you think about something even just as simple as a t-shirt, I may be wanting something that's, you know, fitted and I'm going to put it underneath of a jacket and I'm going to tuck it into some cute like high-waisted jeans. But at the same time, I might want a t-shirt that I'm going to wear with leggings and I want it to be flowy and I want it to be longer. And this tool allows you to actually see, okay, this is going to hit, this t-shirt's going to hit me like thigh level versus this t-shirt's going to look like a crop top on. Something as simple as a t-shirt, you just have different preferences for how you want to wear it or what you're going to wear it with. And this enables you to see that and make that choice for yourself. I feel like this is really good for all of our taller or shorter friends too to see like how with the length of something on someone. I know a lot of people that struggle with that yep. and that being like half the reason why they have to order and return so much is just because of their height one way or another. So that brings us to number three, which is visualizing an entire outfit at the same time to see how different pieces fit together. So you're able to take, let's say, a shirt you're interested in and a pants and see like, is this rise of this pant going to match the crop of this shirt? Is that right? Yes. So you can take any pieces on a brand's website and put them together and see if you like how they work together. Now, the other thing that is really cool about this is that as customers use our technology, you actually can save garments into what we call like your virtual closet. So say you have a pair of jeans that you've had for two years and the brand no longer sells that exact style, but you tried them on your avatar, you bought them, you saved them in your closet. You actually could try on that pair of jeans with new shirts that a brand is offering and see if you like how they work with things that you already mm. have which is such a great way to just extend your wardrobe. Um, you know, we're all trying to think about how we decrease our environmental footprint. And that's one way to do that is to be able to create new looks with things that you already have. And this also lets you do that in addition to just buying a completely new outfit. So those are two things to me that are super exciting with this. That makes me think of the clueless closet, which is like every girl's <laughs> dream, right? To be able yes. to like swap out your tops and your bottoms and figure out what you're going to wear today. That's very cool. 
And then number four is to compare different items, right? We all know brands can offer different rises of jeans, even if the legs stay the same. So you can just see where different rises fall on you as well. Yeah, this is, like you mentioned, for certainly for people right, who are petite or really tall, but really just anyone. You know, if you want to know where a garment's going to hit you on your body, if it's going to be snug, if it's going to be loose, if, you know, the pants, what's the length of that pant going to look like? You know, is it going to hit me at the ankle? Is it something that's going to be dragging the floor? Those are the things that you can tell. And you can also compare different colors. So you have the ability to customize your avatar with a skin tone. And so you could look at how a color um, will look with your skin tone or how colors look together or patterns for that matter a print and see how that would look with a pair of pants that you're planning to buy. So it just gives you a lot of information that you really don't have today, both how things are going to look together, but then, so if they're not, if you're on a brand's website today and they don't style those two pieces together on a model or in an image, you don't have a way of really seeing those. When I was out interviewing customers, they talked about having lots of tabs open on their computer. So they're just all spread out and they're trying to like compare visuals you know between the two so they could see how things were going to look this lets you do that really easily yourself um and this is all about you know putting that power in the hands of a consumer so that you can make choices for for what you want and what's going to make you feel stylish and comfortable and beautiful yeah and that's uh, another great uh, segue into our last point um, about making choices as a consumer. And you mentioned we are all trying to find ways to reduce our imprint um, on the environment. And um, this is a great way to figure out if you are going to enjoy this item before it ever ships. Like it reduces the imprint in so many different ways. Yeah. So, Anna, you mentioned earlier you know, buying 10 dresses and getting them all in for an event. One of the interviews that I did before we started building this technology was with an executive and she bought 20 black dresses uh, for a work party that she was going to. Got them in and tried, tried them all on and knew that she was going to send back 19 of them. Um, this hopefully, you know, cuts down on that. The whole goal is for you to be able to make decisions but based on seeing something on your body knowing how it's going to fit knowing if that's what you're looking for and if you think about the online shopping experience compared to what you do in person when you go into a store and you select a dress off of a rack you can hold it up to yourself you can go into a physical dressing room and you can try it on and when you go online really the only thing that you have today for the most part is a model that's wearing an outfit and that would be like going into a store and then saying you can't actually try this on but here's a person that you know looks this height and this weight and she's wearing this size if that was what people offered you when you went in store you think they're absolutely crazy <laughs> and it wouldn't make mm -hmm. sense and so we're trying to offer more <laughs> of those options for what you would experience in person but do it online <laughs> Obsessed. I think I'm definitely going to be on the lookout for anything, um, any brands that you guys are working with in the future. I really want to use this um, and understand how um, it all works. So thank you so much for your time here and explaining to us everything about Couture Technologies and how it's basically going to change the world. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> we were, I was on the phone with um, a brand, a apparel brand CEO and, you know, I did my whole presentation and we're talking about everything and she just got really quiet and you never know, right? Is that like, okay, I said something wrong <laughs> or I said something crazy, but she got real quiet. And then she said, this is going to change everything. It was like the best moment ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The wave of relief you probably felt. How can people find Couture Technologies? And if any businesses are listening and want to implement your technology, what is the best way to contact you guys to start um, testing that out? Yeah, for sure. So CoutureTechnologies.com, that is the place to go. We're in the process right now of actually launching a version of the technology that you'll be able to try just directly from our website. So you could go on, create your account. Um, create your avatar, see exactly how it works. Um, we're launching that very soon. Um, but then I mentioned, you know, Hemp and Hope is also a place where if you want to go actually try it out and buy something, um, Dapper Boy will be launching very soon. Um, on the Couture Technologies website, we have a newsletter. Uh, we don't spam anyone. It's not something that comes out really frequently. We try to just do once a month. So if you want to keep up with updates, if you want to keep up with some um, things like when we're raising money, but also when we're launching with new partners, um, awards. We try to share all of the good news um, with anyone that has subscribed. And there are lots of subscribers now keeping up with us. But once a month, uh, we do send that out. So if that's something you want to subscribe to, you can do that on our website. Great. Okay. Well, with that, we will wrap up our episode for this week. Again, thank you so much for being here. And we will talk to everybody next week. Bye. Verve is the only source for everything fashion on the internet. If you've been inspired to get dressed up for yourself this week, tag us to be featured on our Instagram at Verve Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Katie Gassman and at Anna Grace Averett. Links are in the show notes. This podcast is written and produced by Katie Gassman and Anna Grace Averett. Edited by Katie Gassman. Creative direction by Anna Grace Averett. This has been a three beverage media production.